How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Are we live? Live in studio, baby. Nice. Are we live? All right. They're so live. I don't know if you can hear this or not. Slap me there. Does it sound? Does it sound different? Does it sound different? What do you think? And we got listeners. What do you think, listeners? Benipotent? You in studio? I I'm blowing away. My my head gasket is on sideways. Doctor Joe show in studio. I am so happy to see you guys back. It's been so long. It's so good. That must mean COVID's over. Not quite, but that's (laughs) close enough. But but there's a rhyme to it. Doctor Joe show in studio. We are here. In but, studio, a radio, a go, go. That's right. Dr. Joe Show. We are here. Let's go. It's over. And let oh. me, let me, well, sort of. Uh, but let me just say that that was a wonderful, wonderful reintroduction yeah. to the Dr. Joe Show. It is. This is version 2.0. Why is it version 2.0, Mark Styles of Styles Law? Well, I would say it was about three years ago that I was at Rote Marine and I wandered down and I saw Dr. Joe sitting there with a couple of his friends and his wife. I said, hey, long time. I haven't seen you in a while. I heard your show. And I said, that's so nice of you, Mark. I haven't seen you since we were on that committee together. What's been going on with you? And we chatted a bit and we talked about the show and you said... I said, you know what? Why don't you come on as a guest and we can talk about your company we can talk about real estate and and why not come on come and be a guest and my marketing mind said why not here's an opportunity to <laughs> let everybody of uh, dr joe's community find out what we do and let's talk about real estate but let's talk about it as it relates to the psychology of real estate and anxiety and all that and i said that would be a lot of fun and we did it we and did it was it. awesome it was about three years ago it was the summertime and, uh, and then I got a phone call about three days later. That's right. From Dr. Joe. From and he me. said, Carol and I were talking. My guest host, my co-host, yes. uh, will be leaving. Would you like to co-host the show? She also said, because you guys have a great chemistry. Right. She noticed right away the chemistry that was going on. And, and I said, there's no way I have time to do that. That's right. Absolutely. That's I have no said. way am yep. I going to be able to... Fill that obligation. Plus, what am I going to talk about with a Harvard trained shrink? Right? Like, it's fine when we're talking about something I know about real estate and the goings ons of those types of experiences. But beyond that, and here we are three years later. Three years later. And you said you'll try it once. That's what you said. You, You were willing to try it once for our friendship from before. And that's it. And not only that, but you helped bring in another member That's of right. the Dr. Joe show. That's right. Yeah. And here he is, Tom McCoy. Hi. Thanks, Tom. The Putting YouTube in channel is the unbelievable. The YouTube by the way. channel, absolutely. Nah, shucks, guys. No, it is. And 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 you know, I, I must say that Tom has free reign 
for the most part, to do what he wants. And so when I go and look at the podcasts um, and I see the introductory image of Dr. Joe with maybe, you know, something on his head or <laughs> Dr. Joe uh, sort of with, with a mask on or, and I love it. I think it's great. It you know? is Thank great. You. Thank you. You know, it's creative. He's doing a great job taking the, the bites, right? The eight to 10 minutes of gold that we create here and yeah. putting it out there. So I encourage anybody who follows this show to absolutely get on YouTube and, and follow the Dr. Joe show on YouTube and uh, ring do, the bell so that you see the new stuff coming. Please do ring it and subscribe and, and get your friends to subscribe because we're ready. Version 2.0, we are ready. We have so much content because we've had amazing guests who come in to share their experience and then put it in an I am window, right? Okay. An I am lens. So it's you really fun. Another book coming out very soon. I do. I do. Unleashing the power of respect, the I am approach. And it will be coming out to stores near you in the fall, Amazon, everywhere. But this, you know, this book is the one where I really want people to just sort of dig in to the whole idea, the simple, simple idea of what changes when we look at somebody as doing the best they can instead of less than they can. How that simple change in perspective can really change the world. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I hope everybody's ready too because we need this right now. There's so much anger in the world. There's so much criticism. There's so much fractionation and factionation and other things that start with F that we need to change the paradigm. And why not? Why not? Why can't we do that? We can do that. I truly believe it. Think about it. Everybody wants the same thing. We want to feel valued. We can do that for each other at any moment. So unleashing the power of respect, the I am approach coming out in the fall. We will tell you more about it as we get closer. And Outsmarting Anger is also now up on Amazon in a paperback version. We put that out a few months ago because there was so much anger and still so much anger. And that book is actually doing quite well. Please go check it out, Unleashing the Power of Respect, but look for the paperback copy because otherwise you're going to be paying a whole bunch of money for a hardcover, same book, Slightly different introduction and forward by my good friend Andreas Martin, a professor out at Yale. Um, and that's Outsmarting Anger. Outsmarting Anger. Seven strategies for diffusing our most dangerous emotion. Based it's on very good. when is the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? So Impossible. It really is. It really is impossible. So it's page turner. That's what people tell me, which is very nice. Uh, and so please check it out. How's that for self-promotion? Well, get used to it because in two, version 2.0, you're going to have to stop pulling back. Okay. And we're going to promote you and we're going to promote what you're doing and the message that you're sending. And we're going to let everybody know what you're doing. It's time. It is time. Because we, so, we can all benefit from it. It's not, it's, it's, this is not about me. No. This is about you. Version 2.1, one of the things we started off with was my guest, Mark Stiles of Stiles Law. And at that point, I said, why don't you come and talk about the psychology of real estate? One of the most important parts of many human beings is their home domain. How do you create and purchase a home domain? So Mark Stiles, 
let's let's go back in time. Well, if you recall, what we did is we actually talked about um, the IM and real estate. Yes. Right? So how it it plays a part in people's emotions and their psychology of 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 buying and selling and you know so you have so many different people and it and it just speaks to your approach with the IM because you know maybe you have someone who's lived in a home for 45 years 50 years and there's the memories and you the stress that goes along with disattaching from those memories right or you have the first time home buyer who has their life savings built up in an account and they're about to uh, deploy all of that mm. so that they could have a home. And we had a lot of fun talking about that. Um, and at the core, not a lot has changed, but in the industry, a lot has absolutely changed in the three years that, that we spoke. And three years ago, when we were talking about real estate, it was a traditional market. You know, we would consider it a normal market. There was, there was not a lot of distress. There was, there was a healthy balance of supply and demands. If someone wanted to buy a house, there was typically a house available for them to buy. That is not the case right now. Really? Yeah. There is a huge, um, imbalance between supply and demand. So, so how did that happen over three years? What was the evolution of that? Well, I think COVID had a lot to do with it. How's that? So the demand went up exponentially with COVID because people realized, you know, they're living in their house. They've been in this house, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're realizing this isn't the house necessarily that they want, right? Uh -huh. Maybe they're living in the city and they're confined to certain, you know, small square footage or, you know, confined to, you know, a, a, a mass population that they weren't comfortable with mm. during COVID. Mm. And a lot of people realized I can work remotely. Right. So if I can work remotely, then I can work anywhere I want. Anywhere they want. So I can go get more land or I can get a bigger house or I can get a smaller house or I can get a house on the beach. So a lot of people wanted to make a move, but then on the flip side, People were afraid to move. People were afraid to have people in their homes. They were anxious about having other people in their homes. So, wait, the, wait, wait. So, so they were anxious about actually showing their homes to other people, yeah. which is a part of the tradition. I mean, if you're about to invest in a home, you want to go inside it, not just look outside. Uh, absolutely. So that's fascinating. Yeah. So the so the demand outpaced the supply. So oh. you have people who were very anxious to move they they identified certain places they wanted to be but the people who lived in those places weren't moving out fascinating so when a product a piece of property came to the market there were multiple and there still are because there's scarce there's scarcity in the marketplace right now so multiple people would bid to a point where it's borderline auction hmm. auction environments right now. So the anxiety levels are outrageous right now from the buyer side. And and from the person who's selling though, don't they then have to become a buyer? I mean, if they're and selling that's, their that's home. And that's the ultimate problem. And that's where the freezing is happening, where mm -hmm. the inventory gets frozen because I would love to sell my house right now, says the seller of a, of a home. 
I'm going to get the most money I would ever get for it. It's the perfect time, but where do I go? Right. I don't know, you know, if if it's this, there's this much demand for my house, then there's going to be that same or more demand for the house that I want. In certain situations, it works for people. So if somebody has a second home, then they can go live mm-hmm. in their second home. They can sell their house or maybe they're moving out of state or they take a leap of faith. But a lot of people are risk averse. So when they don't want to be homeless, at the end of the day, the folks don't want to be homeless. So they don't move and they freeze. And then the, the demand gets even more accelerated and the scarcity is there where prices are going to continue to accelerate until there's a, a tempering of that imbalance. So I, I'm just curious if we can just personalize this a bit. So how does that affect people who are in the real estate market who are, that's their livelihood is selling homes and real estate lawyers? So great question. When it comes to the real estate professionals, it's a, um, it's an interesting time because um, there's a have and have nots, right? The, the folks that are getting the listings, those that are getting the sellers um, side of the transaction are doing very well because if you can get people to sell the property, there's multiple people looking to buy it. Right. Those that are trying to help buyers find these homes are struggling and it's been super challenging for them. So it's been, it's been a grind for the real estate industry for the entire COVID. I mean, it was, you know, from when COVID first um, hit back in February and March of 2020, when it was uncertain of how anyone was going to operate and do anything in person, they had to figure it out. And they did a great job as a community, but it made their job 10 times harder, Mm. right? So their their typical sale marketing process would be to pre-market the property, do all of the photos, do all of what, you know, presenting the property in its best possible look, putting it out to the general public, um, hosting open houses, bringing people in, bringing big groups of people in, bringing groups of real estate agents in and hosting them and gatherings, right? I remember you invited me to one of those to, to talk and, and it was fine. Right, right. So those were eliminated when COVID hit the United States. Absolutely. So they had to, you know, figure out how to do this and they did, you know, they, they time blocked and had scheduled appointments to show it one at a time, but they were, you know, it, it almost seems like years ago now that you think about it, but you know, it was, are we putting on booties? Are we making people wear gloves? Are we, you know, how are we going to protect our client, the seller? And so they made it, they transitioned through that and then they, you know, continued through grinding and trying to bring out more inventory because a lot of people wanted to move around. A lot of people wanted to buy real estate. Interest rates started to drop because the rest of the economy was struggling. So in a normal economy, they try to balance things out. And one of the ways they do that is by lowering interest rates to give homeowners the ability to refinance, to lower their interest rate, lower their monthly obligations so that they don't become dependent on, you know, the government or anything like that. It allows them to reset their 
monthly mortgage obligations. Sometimes people can pull money out of the equity of their home in a situation like that where they could create a rainy day fund or maybe have it available for the needs, the immediate needs. So interest rates were lower, creating more demand. More people had more buying power. So they had the ability to buy more house, opens up their mind to other opportunities. What can we do? How can we utilize these low interest rates? Maybe we can buy a second home. So the buyer demand just 10x accelerated to a point where the supply of homes wasn't there. And then lumber costs went up in the supply chain. So new construction was not necessarily an option for a lot of people. So it's been an interesting time, but really, really proud to be part of the industry because, you know, they did such an amazing job throughout all of this and didn't stop. They couldn't stop and they continue to work hard for their, their clients. And, um, and they're still working really hard because of this really wild imbalance. And, it's interesting to look forward to see what what is to come of this and and how to kind of melt this frozen inventory a little bit and loosen it up. So what what do you anticipate? What what is the post-COVID real estate world going to look like? It depends. Always does. <laughs> so that's the legal answer. It it really <laughs> depends because real estate is so hyper local. Um, it depends where you are. Um, I, I truly believe that the in certain communities, uh, the sought-after communities, the high-demand communities are going to continue to accelerate because of the scarcity. If they're not creating new product, if they're not creating new inventory, new homes in those areas, but people still want those homes, it's only going to increase the values of those homes. So in those communities, I see years of appreciation still. Mm. And people, you know, they, everyone has their opinions on, are we in a bubble? Is this bubble? When's the bubble going to burst? Um, in these certain sought-after sought communities, not anytime soon at all. Now, compare that to some of the neighborhoods that, aren't as affluent or aren't as sought after or more uh, communities of frontline workers, workers who uh, jobs may have been eliminated because of COVID. Um, those areas are going to get hurt and they're going to get hurt bad. And that's going to be a really interesting time where you have one subsect that's on a skyrocket acceleration and then another subsect 15 miles down the road, seven miles down the road, bottoming out. Hmm. But hasn't there been a trend where some of these neighborhoods in the past have been, I don't know, do they call it gentrified or something like that, where, where groups will move in and displace people because they, they can, because the housing is less expensive, less money coming in. Am I, am I missing something here? Am I making myself clear? So there's a, there's a neighborhood that, as you describe, may be poorer than another. Would the rich people come in and just buy those places out? For what purpose? Well, you know, sometimes greed has a real, real motivation when it comes to So let's talk things. through greed. 
right? So what would be the benefit of buying that property to then rent to the same person? Mm -hmm. Good question. I will say that one of the um, big asset classes that's going to have a lot of success for real estate investors, for those who are looking to purchase real estate, will be in those asset classes mm. where they're government subsidized. Mm. So for somebody who um, is looking to, in essence, partner with the government, mm -hmm. right, build housing stock for folks that the government subsidizes, that's going to be a big industry in the years to come. There's no question about it because mm -hmm. the government will be subsidizing a lot of people in those areas. But those prices will probably drop pretty dramatically before the investors swoop in mm -hmm. and decide that it makes sense for them. And I don't know if that's greed. I think there's there'll be a lot of really authentic real estate investors who are doing it for a good moral purpose and creating housing stock is a great purpose. You right. know, you, you create homes for people and the government supplies a, a, a check every month. So it works on the spreadsheets. And if they deliver a, a good product, they treat people well, treat yeah. them like customers instead of, uh, you know, less thans than, right it's a great business to be in. So, so even though the process of buying a home or selling a home can increase anxiety, having a home, a safe place to be is one's nest and decreases anxiety. And then you can start building your home domain and spread out into the social domain. I see your biological domain calms down. It's, it's, you know, I mean, that is part of what we're talking about with the psychology of real estate. There's the buying of it, but, once you're there and it's your home, you can feel hopefully safer and more invested in your community and your neighborhood because there are some very important things going on here in the world of real estate in our country. Uh, we talk about, you know, the, the, the basic the glut on the market, that there, there aren't enough homes. And yet there's a whole nother side to this market. We were talking a little bit off air. There are some people who are at risk. There are, and we're starting to hear from them. Um, as you can imagine, COVID wasn't great for a lot of people. Um, you know, maybe their job was eliminated. Um, but uh, there are a few that we've heard from that went into COVID in a situation that wasn't great and were able to kind of fly under the radar through COVID because of all the governmental protections and the banks weren't allowed to foreclose and evict. And now that we're starting to come out of COVID, the banks are coming fast and furiously and mm. extremely aggressively. Um, one situation we had a few weeks ago, uh, shocking how aggressive the bank was being, thinking about the optics of it, right? We've talked about optics quite a bit, but they did not care. They were not worried about bad publicity or anything. And they were coming super aggressively after this gentleman who has equity in the home. Mm -hmm. um, because of the appreciation of the property, if he were to sell it in the open market, he would be able to capture some of those proceeds, take them with him, dust off, figure things out, live, a, live another day. 
when the banks start coming, you know, and the foreclosure costs are associated and the auction happens and a third party bidder bids, they might not bid what would be the market price. So there's no proceeds for that person. They're only bidding enough that the bank is satisfied. So they're not concerned about the homeowner. So we're in the process of working through one, um, getting this gentleman under agreement with a buyer that allows him to sell the house with dignity and not foreclosed and get the proceeds. And there's a lot of people in that situation. And if anyone's listening to this and they are in that situation and they're in distress and they don't think that there's a, a brighter day that this is going to work out for them, that they'll be able to get back on their feet. This is the perfect time to be selling and capturing mm -hmm. some of that equity that has accelerated rapidly over the last year, more than they probably could possibly imagine. You know, they may think, oh, there's my mortgage statement. This is what I owe. This is where they're coming. Uh, Zillow says or whatever it is that they think values their house, they, they're probably inaccurate. And they should certainly talk to a real estate professional to help them through that because they could capture real dollars and then dust off and get back on their feet as opposed to the, the process of foreclosure, which is brutal in and of itself. And it strips your equity. It, it clearly strips the amount of money that is otherwise yours goes to somebody else, whether it's the bank or an investor. So, so let me just, let me just translate some of this for a moment. Okay. So you, a person has a home worth $500,000 yeah. and their mortgage is $250,000. Mm -hmm. That means the equity is $250,000, correct? Correct. The difference between the value and the debt. Okay. And the appreciation is not, oh, I really appreciate that. That's really great. That's the increase in value that your house or anything has. That's right. So maybe in January 2020, that house was worth 350 And today it's worth 500 Because That's there are not uncommon. Because there aren't enough houses. Correct. Okay. And yet, if it goes into foreclosure, the idea is somehow whoever the owner is has not been able to pay the bank, the mortgage payment, the, basically the monthly rent, if you will. We call it a mortgage because it's a homeowner. Uh, and the bank says, I want my money. And they then have the legal right to say, we are going to auction off your house. And again, they have every right to do that. They sure. have the right. They've lent you this money. Right. You haven't paid it back. We want it. You've signed these documents that right. gives us the right. You've actually authorized us to do this Correct. at your closing. Um, and we're going to proceed with it. The problem is, is they only want that 250. Exactly. So if somebody bids 251, they win. They win. And they own that property. Yep. Right. And, and that's why I just wanted to translate it for people. So for those people, even though it may be anxiety provoking to not have a home, if you can sell your home for the 500 it's worth, you walk away with 250000 in your pocket that you can at least potentially invest somewhere else. Correct. Instead of nothing in your pocket and an eviction notice. And, and is it harder then to get another mortgage? Because it would. It would be. It would be. It, it, it's going to be challenging for that person anyhow because yeah. going into the foreclosure process, but to go to a rental 
and to show, you know, for example, this person that we're working with now, we, we showed them that they're getting money, right? Mm -hmm. So we showed the landlord, yes, they're in foreclosure. They're dusting off. They need a second chance. They're going to have real funds to right. pay you as a landlord. Right. Thank you for, you know, looking the other way of their, on their credit. Because right. their credit is damaged. Credit is damaged, but they but they're gonna have cash in the bank and they right. they can pay their that's their, right uh, their rent. That's right. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting because it really it's going to define and it's going to widen that gap, unfortunately, between the haves and the have nots. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna see it's it's going to be tough to watch when certain communities are thriving. Yeah. And certain communities are not. Yeah. So there's another trend that I've been noticing in the real estate world that has to do also, I think, a result of COVID and people realizing that they can work from home. Yeah. And that is the businesses, the corporations that used to have massive numbers of people in their offices, they may not need to, to have that much space anymore. Right. So what 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 happens to the owners of those mega buildings? Hmm. So commercial real estate commercial we're talking real about. Estate. Yeah. Uh that that time will tell. Um it's it's interesting. Even 5 years ago, I was projecting that office space, the the massive um square footage that companies had, there's going to be an adjustment there because you, you were starting to see the cloud software, the laptops, the mobile employees, the ones that wanted to work from home a day, a week, or but, what have you. But also because, Mark Stiles, you are brilliant and <laughs> anticipate these things. I have a pretty cool crystal ball. Yes, but, you do. But at the end of the day, I was thinking, okay, well, it's interesting. You know, there's there's this big building in Boston that, you know, is all square footage of, of business. What could they do with it? Maybe they retrofit it to residential. Exactly. And that was the idea that I'm thinking is there, you know, and then the cities will become more of these communities. But with COVID, I don't know that I would think that way anymore because of the congested. Not people don't want to get on elevators mm. with each other and, you know, and they don't want to live in such close quarters. So... Time will tell. A lot of the owners of um, big multi-million dollar commercial real estate are pretty savvy people. Um, I'm assuming they're going to figure out how to retrofit and and uh, redevelop their their concepts. But time will tell. But I can tell you that people are not going to go back to the office the way they did. And there, there's, you know, projections on what percentage of people are going to go back. And then you're starting to see some of the, the bigger banks and Wall Street companies who are mandating people to come back to the office. And then I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about the new sign-on bonus is remote employment. Uh, you know, you can work in Wyoming for a company in Boston. And then there's the whole conversation about, well, how do you pay someone Boston money when they're living in Wyoming. That's mm. not fair because a lot of the big, big Fortune 100 companies have these scales of what their compensation is. So if you're a middle manager in the Midwest, you get $90,000. But if you're a middle manager in Manhattan, you get $210,000. But now what if that middle manager in the New York office is living in Midwest? Yeah. What happens there? So 
a lot of things are going to change, but I can I can certainly say that commercial real estate is uh, the way we see it is going to be very different in the years to come. Yeah, but we can also now tie this into what we talk about all the time. Every show we talk a bit about the I am, right? And that's that's why I really appreciate the two of you being here as being the supporters that you are. We're talking about real estate and buying homes and selling homes. This is your real estate, folks. It's your brain. You get to choose what you want to do with it. It's yours. And what you do with it can have huge, enormous effects, just that small change. And you guys have heard me say this again and again, but it's worth repeating. We all want the same thing. We just want to feel valued by somebody else. Think about every person you've ever met. That's the common thread. Really, just think about that for a moment. I remember saying this to somebody, you know, we all want the same thing. And and he, he looked at me like, you're crazy. How can we all want the same thing? And then I said, we all want to feel valued. And he paused and nodded in agreement. Because we do. And that's part of what the I am is, is helping people to do. Because when you look at people and treat them with respect, that helps them feel valuable. And whenever you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value and everybody wants to feel valuable. You can do this for yourself. You can be more valuable, not by taking something from someone else, but by reminding them that they are valuable. And that then leads to trust. And trust is the antidote to all this anger and all this fear and all this sadness. Because when you trust someone, you can share what's going on with you without the fear that you're going to be judged as less valuable. That's what we need. Right now, anger is an emotion designed to change something. It's always been an emotion designed to change something. We have an opportunity using the I am to help someone tell us calmly what do they want to see different? Tom, can I put you on the spot again? You were angry about something. What did you want to see different? I think that was part of the problem is that there are types of anger that you don't want to see anything in particular. You just enjoy the feeling of being angry. Ah, yes. It, it was a form of entertainment. Yes. Really interesting. Mark, did you, did you ever find people like that in, in your field? I mean, you... Yeah. I mean, we, you know, the I am has been instrumental in helping us understand who we're working with, right? So we're identifying um, personalities and traits of personalities. And, and there are people who want to fight every step of the way, regardless. And, you know, I feel sorry for them in a way, and I try to help guide them through that emotion because it's so obstructionist to want to push back on every little thing. I, I was talking to a friend of mine and it, and they, he uses the, the phrase that sometimes you want to pull versus push. Mm. So I've used that quite a bit since having that conversation because to push back every single time ends up being a losing proposition yeah. because at the end of the day, what are you doing? You're devaluing somebody else. And what what is the action of pushing doing? It 
move somebody away from you. Right. But pulling brings them closer. Right. You know, I mean, really, we've been doing a lot of this, and that's part of, of anger as well. Who wants to be around an angry person? So the angry person winds up alone, which is just going to make them angrier. Right. So that's that's part of the real benefit, I think, of the I am. I really, you know, I've worked on this since 1982. It's a long time. What that's almost 40 years. Mm -hmm. And I've used it in my work in psychiatry. And I can tell you it makes a difference every day in people's lives in that way. But I believe it's not just confined to psychiatry. I think we can do this in our homes. We can do this in our business. We can do this in our government. Why not begin treating people with respect? Why not begin seeing people as valuable? Why not enjoy the trust and not just the anger? Because you're right, Tom. Being angry can feel really intense and powerful and, you know, but ultimately there's a difference between being feared and being respected. Uh What do you really want? You get to choose. Remember, you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. And personally... I want to be an influence that just reminds people of their value. Makes me feel better. And I believe it. I really, I see it in everyone. I see the value. You know, this is who you are. You matter. So, I know, I know. Maybe it sounds like, Joe Schran, what are you talking about? But think about it in your own lives. When you say thank you to someone, what do they do? You're welcome. You're welcome. You're part of my group now. So we can do it. That's what we're working on. And that's why the Dr. Joe Show 2.0, we are really going to be promoting this. You know, I've I've told people before, imposter syndrome begins with I am. (laughs) I haven't heard you say that yet. I believe it. I believe we can do it. So we have a huge lineup of people coming on. Massive. Massive lineup. But the most important person in this is you, the listener. The small change you can make is just begin to understand the I am. Go back to our podcast. Go back to the first one. Maybe it's not number one, but it's, it's in there. One. It is a, uh, it's number, number one. one. Number one and 101, I think we right. did a, a, a breakdown. Learn about the I am your home domain, your social domain, your biological domain, and the I see how I see myself, how I think other people see me. You control no one. You influence everyone. Small changes can have a big effect. The small change I'm asking you to do is just check out the I am. See whether you can apply it today. We'll see you next week right here at the Dr. Joe Show live, baby, in studio. here. Thanks, Ben. Always a pleasure to have you guys Thanks back. Thanks, Ben Epitin. Cut off his ear,